If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Hello and welcome to the No Need for Prince Charming podcast. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by City Fertility. With a diverse range of sperm donors to choose from and no waiting time, City Fertility are ready to help you fulfill your dreams of growing your family, just like they helped me grow mine. Visit City Fertility today to learn more. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Jacinta. I would love to start by understanding who you were before you became a mum. Um, who was I before I was a mum? Uh, I used to do a lot of things that I don't do now because <laughs> most of them start after my 6 p.m. bedtime yeah. that I've got now, thanks to my child. Um, very much into spiritual kind of practice, meditation, yoga, which I think helped a lot, um, sound baths, things like that, definitely interested in that. Very big family orientated person, mm-hmm. which hasn't really changed since I've had the baby. But he's the priority now as opposed to the babysitting that I often do. Mm-hmm. Um, you come from quite and, a big family, do you? Yeah, so I'm one of eight. And oh, I've wow. got 12 nieces and nephews, five brothers, two sisters. Wow. So five brothers definitely prepared me for a boy. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm in for. Lots of gross stuff, so prepared. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're all quite close. Most of us are quite close. We all live really close together, so it's nice to have a little boy now to join the cousin gang. Mm-hmm. So I don't even. I think once you have a baby, sometimes who you were previously morphs into who you are, and you forget most of it. Really. <laughs> So at some point you decided that you were going to have a baby on your own. What led to that decision? I'm going to be honest. I actually pretty much 10, 12 years ago was like, if I don't meet anybody, I'm just going to have a baby by myself. Oh, you sit for a while, yeah. Yeah. And I had already told my family and kind of like my friends and I was like, I just think that I'm going to do that eventually and then I just felt like do you know when you get like an idea that you're going to do something by an age yeah which now I look back and I think is hilarious but I just felt like 33 I was going to be a mum and so like around 32 I just started like planning to be a solo mum and to do that and I did say Fertility and having children is very humbling and it is very humbling because you think that it's just going to be just fall into place Mm -hmm. and, you know, when you've got a mother who's had eight children and her mother had seven children and you're just surrounded by children, you think that that's going to happen easily and it just didn't necessarily happen like that. I think if I was you, I'd be going into it going, right, I want to be, I want to have a baby by 33, so I'll start nine months earlier because everybody's getting back. Yeah, I was just like, it's going to happen. 
it's meant to happen. It's going to happen so easily. So I did start and I, I started with um, like private, privately mm-hmm. um, going with a known donor and the first attempt I did fall pregnant. So I was like, oh, it's, this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. It's all working. The universe is, you know, everything's falling into place. And then I had a miscarriage at the first, like the first pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of like, that's not how the story was supposed to go. No. It was not really, not really what I was expecting. And I don't think people talk about it enough. And definitely women around in my family never talked about it. So I didn't really think that it happened and that, you know, that a lot of people do lose their first pregnancies and a lot of people do have miscarriages later. And I know now, like after talking to like family members that people have had a miscarriage, but after, but you just feel like, I think people just don't talk about it enough really. It just is really personal and everyone kind of keeps it in. And I think, I don't know, sometimes there's a lot of shame that there shouldn't be attached to it. Yes, and I think people try to like just battle through it as well. And if I don't acknowledge it so much, then I can just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Can just going through it feel very isolated, doesn't it? Yeah. And I just felt like, yeah, it just really knocked the wind out of the sails, I think, for that period of time. So, um, and I didn't have any idea of why that happened. And then I continued on and I had like a chemical pregnancy. And then I changed donors and it just wasn't working. But I did that for like October 2020. So another year I tried. And also it took me a while to get over the miscarriage. Like it did really take me a while to come around to trying again. And so, so were you trying still with a known donor for all of that time as well? I tried I tried with someone that um, there's a Facebook page you can meet, you can meet people on. And I know it's very successful for a lot of people. And I know that it's a path that a lot of people take and they they have really good experiences. I had a mixed bag of experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't recommend it for people. And I think people should um, go into it like really cautious. But I had a really lovely man and I had a not-so-wonderful experience as well. So, Okay. Like um, the first person just I felt like was really pressuring for more than what I was willing to do. Right. So, And I think a lot of people on that side are really. So I think if people are cautious about that, then, you know, it can work for people. Yeah, I think it'd be hard for a lot of women because you're so fixated that you just want to have the baby. Mm-hmm. Easily probably get manipulated into some of those yeah, things. Yeah, you're very vulnerable. Don't and I don't think that people, I don't think that there's that everybody on that site is there for good reasons. So after I had the miscarriage, there was definite um, pressure to do it the natural way. Oh, right in order to be successful and so yeah I just felt like I just become uncomfortable in the process and also I just didn't understand why it wasn't really working so that's why I decided to go the more traditional fertility kind of route and go see a fertility specialist which I'm really thankful that I did do that yeah yeah, so if, if you are on those sites, just you've got to really trust your instinct and trust your gut on it. And if it doesn't feel right, yeah. just you've got to protect your, yourself and your safety because yeah, for sure, there are some really, really great genuine people on there, but there are some yeah questionable like, people. I know that that it works for a lot of people and that mm-hmm. it works successfully for a lot of people. And I don't want to say that it's not the route to take, but I just do want to say be cautious. Of who you're meeting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And once that kind of discussion was had, I was like, no, it's not the route for me, basically. Yeah, it's almost like when you're going dating as well. You know, you tell someone that you're meeting someone 
and where you're going to be and that sort of thing, just in case, just protect yourself. Yeah, definitely tell a friend, have a friend there if you're comfortable with that, meet at other locations. Um, Yeah, definitely for sure. I went in at super naive. Yeah. And then I just um, felt more and more uncomfortable about the situations that were happening. And that's when I decided to go the more traditional route. Yeah. And so how did that experience go then? Probably quite different, obviously. (laughs) Very, very different. Yes. Um, I was really lucky. I had a fantastic um, fertility doctor um, in Brisbane City Fertility. I know that they're like a sponsor for you. Yeah. But, yeah, I had a really fantastic doctor um, that I would recommend. So I went and it, um, she just wanted to look into it for why I, it wasn't working out, why I have the miscarriage. Um, so that was really, really nice. She was very in-depth. And I went for my um, high cosy mm-hmm. and that was a bit confronting. That was in 2022. So like I miscarriage 2020, 2022, I went for the high cosy. Um and that was confronting because I got really bad news. It was like lots of polyps in my like ovary and my suspicious cyst on my ovary. My tubes were kind of blocked. So it was all sorts of things happening. Wow. Um, and I had no idea about any of that because also I went into that thinking that I was going to have the best looking reproductive <laughs> organs you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and they were just saying, like, it's a miracle that I was even pregnant originally because right. of the polyps. There was very little room for any implantation. Um, and they were just like, you're going to have to do IVF and that's really the only option that you'll have. Um, but also they were worried about the cyst. And the cyst had kind of, I'd had an ultrasound previously with my GP and she just said it was a simple cyst. Mm-hmm. But um, they were definitely like, this is not a simple cyst. It actually looks malignant and um, we think you should look into it. So um, my fertility doctor kind of um, got those results and she sent me for blood tests to just check that it wasn't cancerous and they all come back, like the tumour markers come back negative. So she was um, considering just going ahead with the removal herself of the cyst and the polyp, the polyps. Um, but then she asked, she did ask me to go get a second opinion with a GP, with a gyno, yeah. um, a Brisbane gynecologist. And so I went to see her very, very lucky that I went to see her because it turned out that I actually had, um, an ovarian cancer. That's very, very rare. Wow. Um, in someone my age, I think it's like two to 5% chance of actually getting it for someone in my gen- like my age usually yeah. it's over 50s that you will develop it um and she even she at the time said I've only diagnosed one person in their 30s and um and she said that's recently actually and she said we can send there's one blood test that you can take that will um show up for this um and then she sent me for it's an, an inhibitor blood test mm-hmm. she sent me for that she said it's a simple blood test if it comes back negative then you know we're happy to go ahead but if it comes back positive then that means that you um have it and she said i'm thinking that you won't have it but it's better to be safe than sorry um, and then she said, I think it's just a, like a malignant cyst and we can just remove it. And then within a week it came back that the test was positive. So, Oh, gosh. So very, 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 very lucky that I'd gone through it. Um, and actually that, that gynecologist turned out to be the head um, of the oncology, gynecology department at Royal Brisbane Hospital. Yep. And so she was able to get me in really fast um and do my surgery and so she basically said if it does come back we're gonna have to remove the entire ovary um just really enough that they didn't need to 
No, they did. They had to remove much. She did say we'd have to remove the ovary, and they did. They she just said that we'd have to check to see if it had spread, and that there was a chance that they would have to remove more, um, and that you know maybe if it had spread, that I would have to have to potentially a hysterectomy. Wow. So I'm going through fertility treatment, and that's not really no, no. what I want to hear. Um, but she was really lovely and she said that she'd do whatever she could to like preserve my fertility and that um, they were, they knew that I was going through treatment so they would try everything to make sure I had at least a chance. And then they got me in for my surgery and my fertility doctor actually, it was her last day before her maternity leave and she was actually working at this hospital. You know how they have sometimes work in clinics and work at the hospital? Yeah. So she was able to come into my surgery and she was able to um, check to see what my options were post the surgery. And so they removed my left ovary and my left fallopian tube um, and then they did a biopsy of the remaining area. And they said that it looked like there was no spread. And so that was really good. And then within two weeks that came back that it was cancer that they'd removed but it hadn't spread. So lucky that they've caught it so early. Yeah. Chance, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. So basically um, I've had doctors tell me it's like being within the same room as someone who's survived a lightning strike because there's no symptoms to it and they got it in the earliest stage that they could ever, ever have got it. So, yeah, my miscarriage saved my life really. But, yeah. Wow. I was it was so lucky. confronting at what were you, 32, 33 were that point as well? Yeah, 30, I just started 34, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it was very confronting being told, like, you may have a hysterectomy, you know, we don't know yet. And being told you have cancer is, is confronting because you have no symptoms, you're relatively healthy, like you have nothing to show that besides, like, irregular periods, there was nothing. That would never make you think, oh, it could be cancer. Yeah. Never. No. Never. No. So, yeah, I was just incredibly lucky and I didn't have to have any treatment and um, I do do like a checkup and now I have, they've just increased that to three monthly checkups. So, yeah. And I go for an ultrasound and the blood test just to double check. But, yeah, other than that. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, for sure. So after that all settled down, how long did you have to wait after the surgery before you could, I guess, mentally and physically um, start into creating a family? Well, I had my surgery um, and then pretty much I had my surgery in May, 16th of May, and then I went back – and on the 14th of June mm-hmm. and they basically wanted me to do IUI at the start because um, I only had one ovary and one fallopian tube so they wanted to be like super conservative right okay the process and just if anything had gone wrong like the chances were low but if anything had gone wrong like you know if I'd had a ectopic pregnancy or anything had happened to my um, fallopian tube that was my last fallopian tube so I didn't want to go in and um, do IVF straight away mm-hmm. um, and then on the 22nd of July actually is when I went in for my ultrasound to check my follicle um, follicles mm-hmm. and I had my take a shot and then I did my IUI on the 23rd and it was my first one and it was successful so oh wow yeah just very, very lucky. So you Every were day. a fertile myrtle. You just had to get past that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the right one's doing really well. My right <laughs> ovary is amazing. It's the fertile one. Right. I just had to lose the left and then that was all good to go. Wow. So, yeah, it, I just feel like everything kind of lined up for what I needed it to happen. Yeah. Like the second opinion gyno was the head of the oncology, like gynecology department able to get me in super fast, last day of, you know, my fertility 
doctors just before my maternity and she was able to check everything and create a treatment plan for me based off that. And it worked and, a couple of months later. Yeah. First IUI, successful, and now oh. I have a little, little guy. There you so. go, little Leo. So after everything you'd been through to get pregnant, how did you find pregnancy? Were you a bit anxious or was it okay? And uh, No, I did it. I was considered a high-risk pregnancy because by that time I was near my 35th birthday, mm-hmm. geriatric. But also um, I think one doctor considered me interesting without being interesting. So my pregnancy was perfect. He was perfect. But I had had um, the removal of my ovary, so we did, like, ultrasounds monthly. Okay. Um, I didn't have any morning sickness, which in my family usually means it's a boy. Right. Which is I knew it was a boy. Um, so it was amazing, really lucky pregnancy. Um, and I was lucky to see him every month. Yeah. Without, Bonuses. Yeah. That was good. But I did develop um, gestational diabetes, which now I know my nan's got diabetes, two of my aunts have got diabetes, my cousin had diabetes after she had gestational diabetes and my uncle had diabetes and my maternal nan had diabetes. But at the time I didn't know any of that, so I was like, the test is going to be negative and the test was positive, so... Yeah, towards the end of my pregnancy, luckily. Um, And I was able to keep it under control with, like, the minimum medication and diet. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I had it. My dad, my dad's sisters, my mum's mum, it was, like, on both sides. And I was, well, 39, so it was, like, destined to happen. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was just the first. I had one first off and it came back negative. So then I was like, the second one was like, it's going to be negative again. Woohoo. <laughs> no. No. But it was fortunate that I was able to keep it under control. Yeah. But it did change um, my birth plan and things like that, which mm-hmm. I, you know, is the I, pregnancy is the ultimate lesson in what you can and can't control in life. Very much it's definitely pregnancy and what you imagine things are going to be. So um, we had the induction planned. And I also um, managed to get COVID oh, no. just before. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast re- that you had recently and she also got COVID. Yeah. 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 I was the plan I was working up until um, the Friday before my induction, which was going to be on Wednesday. The Monday beforehand, I was training somebody for the job and she gave me COVID. So I'm giving you my job and you give me COVID. That's not nice. Yeah. So I think I managed to come out of isolation Tuesday for my um, induction on Wednesday. Um, And then, of course, my induction was for Easter weekend. So, um, and everyone wanted to have their babies. At Easter, all right. Um, I was actually in hospital for three days before I did get induced. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was a not perfect at all. But he's here now, and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, they kind of ceased my medication a little bit too early, so I did go. My blood sugars did spike during my labour. Mm. So I can't recommend having a contraction and also having a IV put in at the same time to bring oh, your okay. blood sugars down. No, that's that's not, not definitely not recommended. No. So, but it's all worth it once they arrive. But yeah, my my sister and my my two sisters and my mum were in there, so I had a very supportive team. Just interrupting this episode for a quick word from our sponsors. Not only have City Fertility sponsored this episode, they are also extending a very generous 20% off discount for all of my listeners. That's 20% off IUI, IVF, ICSI, as well as six months complimentary egg, sperm and embryo storage. If you're just starting out or about to undergo treatment to make your baby dreams come true, head to the show notes for my discount code and a link to their website for more information. 
What were they like when they told when you told them that you wanted to pursue solo mum by choice? Because obviously, with was it twelve cousins and a big family, no one else has gone down that path. I'm assuming. No, my cousins got a um, female partner, and they've had a donor baby. So I'm happy about that because they've got he's got a similar story with his cousin. So he's got someone who will be able to go along you know share that share the journey with um I think I've always just been very firm in what I want so it didn't really matter they're very supportive they are very supportive and um as soon as I announced that that's what I wanted to do they were very supportive but I've always just said I'm the one raising the baby at the end of the day so I think people you do worry about what other people think sometimes but no, I don't, but I know other people do. And they're not raising your baby. You're the one raising your baby. So if this is the journey that works for you, then 100% go for it and regardless of what somebody else says. And my, my, my aunt Nan is 83 and she's very conservative and she's on board. So if she can get on board yeah, and accept, you know, that I have a son who is from a donor she doesn't understand the whole process but if she can understand that I think anybody else can get on board and if they can't it's at the end of the day your child is your priority and how you raise your child is your choice and your life is your choice really so yeah that's brilliant that he's going to have a little cousin as donor conceived as well to go through yeah, yeah, I think it's it's really a wonderful thing that they'll have each other and they'll have somebody within the family group that they can kind of have those conversations with and have similar backgrounds. So, yeah. Because obviously important. already got a lot of built-in playmates as it is. Yeah. Yeah, he's very popular. He's very used to hands in the mouth, faces in the faces into his face and gentle touches to the head very gentle that's my favorite word gentle right but yeah it's good that you'll have someone to share that with yeah and how did you find picking the donor when you went through the clinics a little little bit different from the facebook experience you would have had but what were you looking for in a donor um my dad has parkinson's actually would live with my dad as well so i'm like um, a carer for him um, he's very self-sufficient still, very stubborn still. But um, so neurological kind of medical conditions, it was important to rule that out um, from the get-go. So I kind of worried more about medical things than anything else. Yeah. Um, and then I just read the donors that um, I very much love to read. So it was if someone had a similar kind of book that they read or similar life perspective then that was like how I chose but definitely neuro was the high thing for me yeah and although Leo's only what six months old now have you given any thought to whether you want to try and meet the donor or meet any donor siblings in the future I'm open to it for sure I think it's important for people to know where they come from Mm -hmm. um so my dad, his parents died when he was really young and so a lot of the family history kind of disappeared with them. So I think it's really important, like, to know who your grandparents are or know kind of, like, some of their story. So I'm open to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I love hearing about my grandparents on discovering different things and my mum's her father passed away very young as well so we've been we've grown up on those stories of him and feels like he's alive to a certain extent so I want him to have that so I am open to him meeting the donor siblings and the donor for sure and I don't want to close off anything for him because it's his choices and so I want to keep the door open for him for sure yeah and are you thinking ideally that he'll have siblings as well? I have to decide very soon because I have been told that I have to remove my other ovary to prevent the return oh, wow. of my cancer. 
So it does have a very high return rate. And when it comes back, it's more aggressive. So basically I'm on the three-month checkups until I decide whether I'm going to have another sibling or not, and then they'll remove my other ovary. That's just very to... confronting, isn't it? Yeah, real. Well, it's just like they put a little ticking little clock. You already have a clock in your head anyway, but it's like they, they sped it up a little bit, so it's just gone a little bit faster. Yeah. But because of the three-month checkups, I'm just going to wait a year, I think, just to see how I feel because mm-hmm. it is a big commitment to do another another go at it and see how I go. And, you know, I'd have to go back and see if it's IUI or IVF this time. So, Yeah, is it an, I don't know if you've discussed it or not, but is it an option to do like an egg collection so you've got options or? Yeah, potentially, yeah. yeah. I, to be honest, I don't think I'd want more than two anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think I'd want too many children. It's not too many children. Children's are blessings, but. For me to look after, um, I think two would be probably the max that I would want to commit to. So, yeah. So I am thinking of going back, but it will be within a certain period of time. Yeah. Just imagine that little ticking clock, though. It's bad enough as it is, but. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely, like, yeah. I only heard about that within the last couple of months, so it did kind of, like, put the pressure on a little bit to fast forward everything that I was thinking about. But people ask you within, I found people ask you straight away, like, are you wanting to go again? And you're like, I've just popped this one out. I'm, I'm still, still working out how this one works. <laughs> yeah. I'm still accidentally calling myself Auntie Jazza over here <laughs> to my own child. Like I just got this one right and I just want to, you know, enjoy this one before I think about all the other things that you've got to go through to start another journey. Yeah. And it is when you're going through fertility treatment, it's not an immediate thing. So you have to put yourself through all of that again. Mm. It's worth it, but you, when you're in it, it can be hard. Yeah. Pretty emotionally taxing, isn't it? Yeah. And you've got, You've got the little one to during the day and you're trying to be at present and think about all those things. So and what their future is looking like and what you want that what for them. So yeah, I have to think all about all of these things. On like running on coffee and running on coffee and love. So most of the brain cells aren't working. How do you think becoming a mum has changed you as a woman? Uh, I think it's changed everything. I was saying I think you become all the cliches. Like you think that you're not going to and you then you have them and you're like, you know, am I a cool mum now? I don't know. What am what what kind of mother am I? You think like, well, I, I probably will be the one that comes to the, the school in my pajamas. Like you just think about different things. You think about Christmas and Christmas next year and what you want to plan and who who the most important part for me is I want a, a kind child. And so you just want to be the person that you want them to be. Mm. So you just take notice. I take more notice of how I respond to my nieces and nephews now and like what I teach them and I've always wanted them to be good people but it's like you're practicing on them so that when you have it with your son some of those things you've refined yeah but yeah just trying to be a better person as an example for him I think that that's becomes something that you work on and that changes you. I think every experience changes you. And you're just more like I definitely feel like I'm more empathetic towards what everybody goes through and how people parent and, you know, 
beforehand you were like you sometimes without meaning to you slightly judgy but then once you're in it you just are more loving towards other people I think it's like you, you see a mum with a child that's absolutely cracking it instead of being frustrated yeah. or annoyed you're like oh my god poor thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I've always 100% said women need women like that when you said before who what was I before I was 100% a component of women need women. And so every major thing in my life, I've always been surrounded by women. And I think we are amazing and we so need each other. Mm. Like now I'm like my mother's group, we text all the time and ask questions all the time. My sisters, I'm like, what's, you know, I ring them way more. My mom, I ring way more. It's like you become even more, you know, amazed by what women go through and what we can do, really. Yeah. Incredible, aren't we? We grow a whole other human and a whole other organ. 100%. And then we birth them and then we feed them. And it doesn't matter how you feed. It doesn't matter how you birth. Like we create these amazing human beings and, you know, then we nurture them and we nourish them and it's just like we put so much into growing these amazing little people. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's no one else, like there's nothing else on the planet that's, that's amazing really. I mean, nature is amazing. and But, yeah, we're, we're incredible what we're capable of. And then bouncing back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know how we do that. Like, no. Hard, but <laughs> yeah, because then it's like, we... you know, within like a brief period of time, you're expected to do this or expected to do that. And the thing is you put so much pressure. We put so much pressure. I see it all the time in the mother's grip and I see it within myself. We put so much pressure on ourselves to be like amazing people and amazing mothers and just, you know, we want the best of our children for our children and we hold ourselves to such high standards and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's very much Western culture as well because I know the more Eastern, yeah. the mum basically can't get out of bed for the first month and everyone else looks after them and the baby and stuff. But here we just have to get on and do everything. Yeah, and I think it's just to, like I had support um, my sister was here, but even then, like within a, like a brief period of time, because the birth process was so long, I was in hospital for six days in the end. Um, so she had to go back to work after a week. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, then you have a human being and you're trying to keep it alive while you keep yourself alive. And you still have the same physical needs, but now you just have to work out how to do it with your little third limb that's mm-hmm. now attached to you. So, yeah. And I how did you yeah. find that first kind of 12 weeks? Was it what you expected? No, none of none of my motherhood journey, pregnancy journey, fertility journey has been anything that I expected. No. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I think um, I definitely thought that I was going to, it would be different, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it just, I mean, I had support and I have a community, but you're ultimately the person looking after that child and you're with them all the time looking after them and to the point where you're exhausted or you're sick but you still find that well within you to push through to continue to look after the the baby, yeah. So... 12 weeks <laughs> I'm six months in and now I don't even remember 12 weeks <laughs> okay but yeah I still feel like I'm probably going to come out of it maybe in a year and then I'll be facing the I'll be chasing a child around the house and then it'll be a whole nother challenge but yeah um that's one thing I do want to say to people like you can have expectations of how things are and a vision. And I a hundred percent believe in, you know, 
manifesting and visualizing how you want everything to go because there's so much power in that. But the reality will surprise you Mm. and that's okay. Like it's not going to be exactly how you imagined and that's still okay because as I was saying, like when I was doing my IUI, I was just grateful to get to that point. Like because I didn't at one point think I was going to get to that point. Yes, because that's what you went through. No. No. So then when I'm, you know, I was just grateful and then when you're pregnant you're grateful and then every stage you just remain incredibly grateful for where you are mm. but there will be hard days and it's okay all of that's okay you can live in both parts of it it can be frustrating and disappointing and still amazing and beautiful and both of those things can exist at the same time mm. yeah and if you look back yeah. now is there anything that you wish you'd done differently in your journey it's hard to say that because I think everything happened the way it was meant to happen mm-hmm. in order for me to be where I am now and to, you know, be alive and um, for him to be here. I think, yeah, just I think having less expectations of what motherhood's going to look like yeah. and what my life is going to look like and what each step is going to look like and just being more open to what's going to happen as opposed to expecting something to happen and having like this perfect vision of fertile myrtle (laughs) that goes into like a goddess motherhood kind of thing and just yeah being open to the reality of what you what you have must be hard being around so many other kids as well. You'd have a very clear idea of what you think it's going to be, just based oh. on thing all the time. And then it's like, hey, it's not like. I mean, that. I'm a really great. I'm a great auntie. I'm a great auntie, and so, you know, I think you think that you're going to kill it. You're like, I'm going to kill this. You know, I'm going to be amazing, and you are. But there are things that you have to kind of let slide, like my house. Definitely, kids definitely grew grew up in here. A baby definitely threw up in here. I have baby stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a mess the majority of the time. And I just kind of have to go with it because it's where I am in this stage of my life. So, um, a lot of letting go at this stage, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely letting go of the reins of control. Yeah. And my sisters used to laugh anyway because they'd come and the kids always knew that they had to pack away everything that they played with first and before they got out another thing and pack away before they left. And so everything's like I do have a kid's corner that was already there and has been there for years. And they're like, wait till you have your own child. Yeah. Because all of that stuff is just going to get thrown and, you know. The kid's corner is now the whole house. Yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. And, yeah, you, I mean, my siblings, I love my siblings. They're amazing. They have amazing children. And I think it does take a community to get you across the finish line. So I love being part of that community for them. And I think back to when I was a kid and, you know, some of the most important people in my life that still are important are my aunts and, you know, the people who were alongside my parents raising me and providing advice and, you know, support. So, but, yeah, I just think everybody plays a part. Like we're mothers and we play the most significant part in our children, especially because it's just us. But I have people and I know everybody else you know out there builds their communities and everybody can be part of your community but it's really important for your child to have other people as well to have that person that they can go to to talk to or provide advice or 
you know, have conversations that your parents may not have. Like I had very political conversations with my aunt and, you know, had conversations on different worldviews and different things. And then I would go to another aunt and have very conversations about spirituality and, you know, all of these things are a basis of who I am. And so you, you not, I think when you are a single mother, you think you have to be everything for your child and you put that pressure onto yourself. But we weren't raised by just one person. Mm-hmm. And so you do not have to be everything for your child. You're not going to be able to meet the needs, every need of your child by yourself. And it's unrealistic to think that, but you don't have to. And it's similar to how our parents were not able to meet every single need of ours. And so I hope that people do, like single mums out there, do think you don't have to be everything. There is other people in their lives that will step in when they need it. Yeah. So you've obviously got yourself a good mother's group. Have you managed to connect with any other solo mums around you as well? I've met one and I am going to meet up with another, go to the event that's in November. Okay. Thanks to your Facebook group. Um, oh. I will found a solo Facebook group up here on the sunny coast. So I am looking forward to that. Fabulous. Yeah. I'm excited to have for Leo to have people that he can go to that have similar like life experiences. And so I'm happy to have similar life experiences as well. But I also do see a lot of single mums on, like solo mums on there asking about just joining solo mums. And I think it's important to have a mix mm. of both. Like even if you if you don't have anyone who's a solo mum near you, definitely join a mother's group because you do have commonality in your child. Like, I mean. that variety, isn't it? And seeing lots of different people in different families. Yeah, for sure. And. You know, they're probably going through the same sleeplessness, sleep regression, you know, solids, introducing solids. Like they're going through similar things so you can talk about all of that stuff with them and have that support. And when you hit like a hard patch, you can just say, hey, I'm going through this. And they're probably going through the same thing as well. Yeah. So. Definitely. And if anyone else on the, the fence about whether this is the right path for them, is there any advice you'd give them? Uh, I did have my cousin who was um, asking me questions as well. And what I would say is I don't regret any of it. Like when you have your own little person, you don't regret it at all. You You would go through it all again, basically, to have the same. You would go through the same experiences just to have the little miracle that you have. And if you feel like this is the path for you, don't don't hold back. Don't feel like you have to. Everyone believes in the fairy tale when they're little mm-hmm. and that's what everyone chases because, you know, society does teach you that. But if it's not happening for you and you still want a mother and it, that's, you want to be a mother, then go for it. The support will come and you can do harder things than you actually realise you can. And there's going to be people there that will hold your hand throughout. But also you can parent your child solo. Everybody has the ability to have it do that. Women are amazing and I think everybody can should definitely do it. We really are. If yeah. If it's, the, if it's the, the choice that you're looking at and it feels right for you, I 100% think people should do it. If people want to be childless, 100% think that that's what they should do. I think that every choice that women make should be supported. No matter because what at the end of the day, where even if you're in a relationship, you're doing the majority of the parenting these days, unless you have an incredible partner, and there is some out there. But I'd say... The vast majority of women are doing the lion's share of parenting and housework and unpaid labour. And so you can definitely do it. It's just that you have that one less job to do, which is all the things that come along with a partner. Mm. Yeah. So 
Go for it. And you too can have a very cute little baby. Again. That will grow into a, you know, terrible two, a three-nager, a very young teenager, and an adult. Hopefully come back to be your best friend after the horrible teenage days. I fully expect Leo to still maintain that I'm his best friend. That's all I'm going to hear, similar to how now he says da-da-da, and I refuse to hear that until he says mum, mum, mum. So <laughs> even when he's in the terrible teenagers, I will um, only hear mum, you're my best friend. I like it. Might have to catch up with you then and see how it's really going. <laughs> yeah. I'll just be like, I think I'll be shell-shocked, similar to how I am now, and just open to the experience. You'll just make it work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. As long as he's kind to people and then I, I'll be, it doesn't really matter, anything else. As long as he's a kind individual, I think I'll just feel pretty good about it. Yeah, proud mama. Yeah. Even if, you know, from experience from my brothers, even if I'm trying to shove him into a shower, or, you know, bribe him with multiple things to shower and trying to keep him from breaking bones and making silly decisions, um, I'll still probably be a proud mama, as we all are. Yeah. Well, thank you much, so much for sharing your story, Jacinda. What a, what a journey you've been through, and I'm so glad you've got your little Leo now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and share. Um. I definitely encourage everybody to look into their fertility and, you know, sometimes even a gent, like an ultrasound, you know, can make a, a world of difference if you have the right gynecologist. Mm. Uh, you know, even though you think you're in perfect health, um, checking into your fertility doesn't hurt. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.